Well, thanks for joining me. Appreciate your time and your willingness. Absolutely. What I am interested in, I'm writing about late bloomers. So I'm interested in ideas to do with um, like your intelligence is flexible. It's not determined at birth and you have lots of margin to improve yourself. And I saw your tweet. Is he called June? Is it who? June who? The mathematician? I don't know. Who? I don't know who yeah, that he, is. He won the Fields Medal. Um, oh, high right. That's right. That guy. He was a po. He wanted to be a poet, and he, he he didn't like maths. And then it was like six years into college, he went to a maths class, and he kind of he got into it. And then he got really obsessed with it, and he dropped poetry, and he got really, you know, he only ate pizzas because he was just sitting there doing right. maths all the time. Yeah. And then he wins the Fields Medal, so he's like a total late starter, and it defies all the stereotypes that you have to be good at maths when you're young, and you know. He's everything that you're not supposed to be. Um, right. Right. So uh, I, what I'm interested in is like your views on this whole area. Sorry. Well, it's hard to say. Um, I mean, you can definitely pick out lots of anecdotes like this of people who come late to a subject and then just go really far in it. And then you're going to get this infinite debate between people who say, well, you know, he always had the talent. He just didn't want to do it before. And people who say, well, you know, you really you can do anything you set your mind to. And blah, blah, blah. And there's no way, you know, you can really prove that. Um, but I think that the the better, you know, it, it's it's cool to have a guy who, you know, dropped out of school to be a poet and then eventually became a fields medalist. That's that's eye catching and neat. But I think the better examples are the more prosaic examples of people who are just middling students who go on to be math professors. And so, for example, you know, I had a, I had two classmates, you know, when I was in school. We knew who the the very best math people were. Uh, you know, I was I was one of them. Um, and but you know, there were like a handful. There were like three or four kids each year who were like the best people at math and who would you know go to the top schools and do technical subjects and blah blah blah. And um, one of those did become a math professor, but I think most of them just went to you know eventually became software engineers at Google or whatever. <laughs> Or, you know, just like blew up their life and became like an economics pundit like me. Um, you know, so so almost none of them actually went into the field. And then when I look at the couple people I know from my high school who became math professors, they they were both fairly middling in math in high school. You know, they didn't win the competitions. They weren't on the math team. Um you know, actually, so when I was in high school, what I liked was not math, but physics. Uh, that's what I really liked. And um, but I, I wasn't that interested in math because I felt like it, uh, you know, it wasn't real. Physics felt more real to me. But then when I um, when I got to college, I started to really love math proofs. And and so I, I started to like math a lot more in college. Um, you know, the, the people who ended up becoming math professors, they were on that sort of journey magnified several fold. You know, and so so now they're they're teaching at some at a college and, uh, you know, and so so I guess what the happens point is to that they get interested, you know, motivation is everything. W when we talk about, um, you know, late bloomers, we have to talk about motivation because kids aren't born motivated. And when when kids are young. Uh, their parents provide them with motivation. Their parents hug them and tell them they're great and then insist that in order to keep getting that approval, they've got to ace a bunch of math tests or, you know, or some parents take a more, you know, sort of harsh uh, approach where they say, if you don't ace your math test, I'll beat you with this belt. But I think that's kind of going out, you know, that, that, that approach, which is definitely what my grandmother had to deal with, you know, with her, her immigrant parents um, immigrating from what's now Ukraine. Uh, they would, if she didn't get perfect scores on math, they would hit her with a belt. And that is just, that seems very harsh. It is very harsh. It's, it's a world like that's the, the world of like the depression and the world wars. And, you know, that old world that was very, that was very harsh. And you still get a few, uh, you know, immigrant parents who try to take that extremely harsh, uh, tack. But I think that in America, we're moving away from that toward something that's, can be just as emotionally damaging, which is you had better get a hundred on this math test or I won't love you. And that's, you know, that's the alternative 
uh, way. But then when, when people are young, they get all this motivation from their parents. And the people that we call nerds are really just people who are closer to their parents. You know, people who are less close to their parents, we don't call nerds. And um, uh, no matter how much they are talented in math or good at math, um, my uh, one of my best friends was, you know, incredibly like smart as a kid. He was, you know, like could ace the SAT as like a little kid or whatever and could, you know, do a bunch of math stuff. He didn't care at all. He just wanted to like play rock music, like play rock guitar and, you know, I don't know, play Dungeons and Dragons and hook up with girls mm -hmm. and get in mm -hmm. fights. Um, and he was he was very good at all of those. Things. <laughs> <laughs> um, and now, you know, now he's a he's a physicist in Europe. Um, his parents are both math professors. If there's any natural talent to be had, he obviously had it. Um, and then he just, you know, when he was ready, he just sort of effortlessly went and like became a physicist. And so you could argue that there's both talent and and motivation here. But the but the the motivation component was key. You know, he had to. He had to feel like he no longer felt like, you know, he, he would go and get in like bare knuckled boxing competitions in like Germany or something, <laughs> which he won. <laughs> and then, you know, or or just like do the craziest combinations of drugs you'd ever not want to do. And, you know, he was um, he just did that kind of stuff. And then when he felt like, oh, you know, it's I guess it's time for me to get a job. He just went and did physics. And then he got interested in it and he, you know, he got really interested in the physics that he was doing. And it became this, just like when he was a kid, he used to pour over Dungeons and Dragons manuals, crafting like the perfect adventure. He would now just pour over physics, uh, you know, um, like experiments and, and, and he worked at CERN and et cetera. And so that's, that's an interesting journey right there because at some, you know, motivation changes over life. He was not a nerd as a kid, but he got motivated later in life. And I think that, with a lot of nerds, with a lot of the kids that you see who are very close to their parents and who are motivated by parental involvement, you see mm -hmm. burnout because then those kids are like, yeah, I do what my parents want, blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, they get to like age 17, 18 and they're like, you know, wait, wait a second. Why am I not getting laid? Why am I not partying with the other party kids? And then when they get to college, when they get out of their, you know, uh, out from under their mother's wing, you know, out to the... um the world where you're living a dorm and you're around all these other young people and no one's really supervising you. I seen, you know, I, I, I went to a, a, you know, fancy school and saw all the, saw this happen again and again and again and again. Right. And so these people just, mm. you know, the, these people lose motivation and they run off the rails and um, you know, they say, why, why did I not get to party? And often they regain motivation later in life. Uh, the, the most common pattern is that they party um they hook, they figure out how to hook up with people. They find romance, they get married and then they get their motivation uh, back to be like really serious. And then they, you know, so I have a, a friend who's a mathematician who, you know, when he was in college, he was just very down because like he had always been so motivated by his parents and now he was away from them. And now he was like, why do I not have a social life? And, you know, we were his friends and always trying to promote him to get a social life. Um, and then, uh, you know, and then he, you know, I don't know, he started working out, dating girls, whatever. I went to his, his wedding. His his wedding was a math wedding where a bunch of math people came and like made really elaborate esoteric math puns <laughs> on PowerPoint at his wedding. And it was a, great a good wedding. wedding. It was a really <laughs> good wedding. It was it was great. And um and then we and then we all played like, you know, board games and stuff like that. Now he's like a now he's a mathematician. But anyway. So, but the point is that like he went through that period where he lost motivation and some people never get it back. You know, some people really. Um, and so I think motivation is the key life motivation. Right. Yeah. And then, but some people talk about um, some people are very like fixated on, you know, the prefrontal cortex doesn't mature until you're 25. And so you don't get executive making decision abilities. And that's why people in their twenties run around and, you know, they don't work hard. And then in your mid twenties, you kind of get your life together. But that seems like a very pat. It's like a just so story. Like, don't worry when you're 25, it'll just happen. You'll just wake up and your prefrontal right. cortex will have turned on. Like, like that's a very inadequate explanation. What is motivation? You know, where, where, where can we get it? How can we explain this to people? I mean, I can tell you what I think, but that, that, and I can pull in various, 
you know, psychology papers to kind of sort of kind of support this thesis. But I can tell you my thesis mm. uh, that it's all about human approval. It's all about, you know, motivation is social. There, there is some intrinsic motivation that you get from nothing, just from curiosity. You know, we, we and we overemphasize this. You know, it's fun to tinker with stuff. Right. And it's um, it's fun to fun to play with stuff um there's certainly like mathematicians out there like terence tau who just from a very early age were just intrinsically motivated by the fun of tinkering with stuff and have never sort of never stopped uh that's real that's a thing that exists but i think that for most people in most cases motivation is social it has to do with the people around you saying at a boy at a girl you know at a non-binary person uh you know and patting you on the back <laughs> and saying and uh, you know, yeah. What what do you what do you say for Ada with a non-binary person? I don't know that. But anyway, so then the point is that people give you, um, with uh, you know, congratulations and approval, and you know, um, they say you done did good, kid, and and, and that's really what it is. It's um, uh, I don't know what the what the British idioms are here. Like, what what do you tell someone did something good? We would just say, you know, well done. Oh well. Oh God. We don't. God. You don't want to overdo it. You say "well done." That's pretty big, right? Yes. Well done. Yeah. Like, if they speak, Vulcan. that's approval. <laughs> Speaking is approval. <laughs> Got it. Got yeah. it. Got it. Um, <laughs> that reminds me of a guy of a of a software engineer in Japan who was very briefly my roommate for like two months, um, and then uh, and then we took him to a tattoo piercing bar. Uh, which um which freaked him out so much that he moved out of our apartment. <laughs> <laughs> it was scary. Anyway, so all right, but um but that's where motivation is. It's it's social and you know parental motivation is important, but it doesn't last forever, right? So the, you're you're saying it's like status seeking. You want to you want to be seen in a positive way by your peers. You want to have the status of someone who's done whatever these things are. And if we took that away you know, you would lose interest in the the thing itself, the substance. Well, maybe. Uh, so, so I would I would be a little more subtle than that. So, so uh, status, I think, um, which we pronounce as a short A. Sorry, but uh, yes, the stat- no, status. No, it's is, good. It's good. It's it's a public thing. It's a public facing thing. Like you get the top score in the competition, so your name is up on a board, or you get a medal, or something. It's something that everyone. It's it's something mm-hmm. with common knowledge that everyone can see that everyone else can see. But approval is more general. So that is one sort of approval, yes. Uh, but approval can also just be your mm. friend saying, I think you did a good job. And then no one sees, and that's not status. You don't you don't actually get status mm-hmm. from having one friend who likes you. And yet that one friend who likes you can often be more important approval. And I think that the most important form of approval uh, for for most people is romantic. It, it's It's your romantic partner is who gives you the most important approval in your life. Um, that's the person whose approval you seek the most. In fact, you know, achieving romance itself is a form of approval for people. You know, like I was, I was good enough, you know, I I was, I was good enough that this person liked me and wanted to exclusively, you know, dedicate their whatever to me, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so I think that, that in itself is a powerful form of approval, um, you know, for, for people who want to, um, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be crude here, but but for people who want to go around and get laid, you know, that get the, the, the getting of laid is, is approval from someone. Right. It's not status necessarily like you can go brag about how much you get laid, but people just don't like you when you do that, you know, uh, unless you're yes, on like a yes. sports sports team or something. But then like but generally people don't like that. But you can you 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 get the approval privately from someone who who, you know, you were attractive, you know, you could attract p- people. And um, and to be honest, I think that's a bigger motivation for a lot of people than the actual enjoyment of sex is is just the knowledge that you're attractive. The the um, mm-hmm. uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm asexual, so I can observe this from an outside vantage point. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so like uh, yeah, so people people get that approval, um, and then romance is that magnified, right? Because someone approves of you not just to spend a night with you, but to actually dedicate like their life to you or or at least some large portion of their life and so that's that's important part of approval so romance friends parents community the community approval is status but it's only one type how far can we take this i mean 
colleagues. In some ways, but in some ways, this sounds a bit like you're saying like people do difficult work for the same reason that the peacock grows a heavy tail because people will look at that work and go, I like you. That's a nice tail. Maybe I'll sleep with you. <laughs> well, I don't know about that. I don't think like would... <laughs> I don't know about that. Some there must some be people, more to it. There must be that. more to it than I want people to like me, so I will, you know, study phys <laughs> like studying physics is hard. There are other ways to get people to say, you know, dude, good job. Well, okay, studying physics isn't always hard. Um, you know, like um No, but you I, see my point. Like you could you could it was a lot easier could, for me could, than computer science. <laughs> But you could paint the fence and, and, and someone would say, like, that was really good. Well done. You don't have to get a, you don't have, like, people do some impressive right. things, but especially so, late bloomers, right? Late bloomers often, it's like, I haven't right. done this thing with my life. I'm going to, I'm going to bloody well go and do it. Right. But so, so it gets pretty subtle because I think that some people have internalized. So here there is a lot of psych research, actually. Um, my dad's a psychologist, so I, I learned about a lot of this. But people have internalized motivation that comes from sort of imaginary modeling of the people who might approve of them. So you think even if your your mom is long dead, uh, you might think, what would you know, my mom would my mom would be so proud that I did this, mm -hmm. um, you know, or even if your mom doesn't actually care or even is alive, but just doesn't give a shit. You know, yeah. like you could, yeah. you could imagine <laughs> that. And so often this, uh, you know, often this sort of imagined approval from this ghost of someone like hovering over your shoulder is so subtle that you don't even think about it unless you stop to think about it. Like, why do I, why do I think that getting married by 28 is important? Why do I think that, you know, someone thinks like, oh, this is a conversation I had with someone the other day. Um, you know, why do I think getting married is important? Like their, their, their mom never actually called them up and gave them the sort of like call, which is, which every like, you know, female lead gets at the beginning of every rom-com of the mom calling you <laughs> at your, you know, you wake up in your urban apartment and in your sloppy bed and then your mom calls you and your mom's like, why haven't you gotten married and settled down? Where are my it's grandchildren? Like, yeah. Where are my grandchildren? It's like the, the beginning of every rom-com, right? <laughs> like, I don't know, yeah, Bridget yeah, Jones yeah. or whatever. And so then that scene is just again and again. Um, and so, uh, <laughs> yeah, so basically your mom doesn't actually have to call you up. You have an imaginary emulation of your mom in your mind that may or may not be accurate that tells you that calls you up on your mind and tells you you need to get married by 28 or whatever. Right. Or that you need to succeed in some career. So maybe you choose a career out of interest or you choose a career out of aptitude or both. But then what drives you to succeed in that career instead of just sitting around and tinkering around. Right. So. Um, uh, often, in, in, interestingly, often we think of people who are on the autism spectrum as people who are are more intrinsically motivated by curiosity and stuff like that, those people don't always end up being very high achievers because, you know, I know a, um, I know a guy who's definitely on the autism spectrum, who is a professor who just likes to just do his research and never worried about self-promotion or prestige. And so didn't get that prestigious until, until later in life when people started, you know, um, uh, urging him to, to become more prestigious. And then he sort of, sort of promoted he's like oh maybe i should and started promoting his stuff and then got well very well known but for many years just wanted to like do his own thing in his own lab and so intrinsic motivation doesn't always lead to what it is to quote unquote success because remember when we're talking about success there's an automatic selection bias filter there because we the public have decided what is success so when you're asking what causes success you're asking what causes people to do things that the public recognizes as success mm -hmm. and so um it's not just public recognition but pu the fact that we're filtering by public recognition when we're looking for a thing to explain means that we start out with a kind of thing that could get recognition you know we like fields metal instead of just what if you just what if you just did math because you were really right. into anime and you sat around figuring out all the different ways you could re-watch your favorite show Someone did that and he, and he proved <laughs> he, he got the core of a very important math result on hyper permutations from sitting around figuring out how many ways he could rewatch the uh, melancholy of Haruhi Suzumiya, which is a boring cartoon. Sorry. 
um, <laughs> that you can rewatch a bunch of different ways. And so he, he was figuring out like how many ways could I rewatch this? And so he was posting about it in some forum and this, and, and someone relayed it to the sci-fi author, Greg Egan, who also works as a mathematician. And so Greg Egan came in and partnered with this guy and they published this important paper, but that the anime guy just wanted to watch some dumb cartoons, you know, that's all he wanted to do. And he came up with this result. So, so, um, what is your best guess Did for how many people like like how many people are there like the anime guy where if we could pair them up with someone or if we could discover them or if we could be like, dude, you know, lift your head up and look at the world for 10 minutes, you're actually doing something. Like how much talent could we uncover like that? Or are there just not that many? Most of them are just watching cartoons. There's not that many of them. Well, okay, there's not that many of them. But, but more importantly, if you did discover them, why would they care? How would you get them to care? Well, how did Greg Egan to... do it? I mean, he got this guy to publish. Well, the paper, Greg Egan right? published the paper. Okay. He's a mathematician who cared. You know, like he he took this. This guy was, would never have published the paper. So, um, you know, another uh, the most famous example of this is Grigory Perelman, right? Do you know who that is? He's no. a, a a wacky Russian mathematician, um, who I, I hope he's okay now. Um, he uh, he's very anyway. He um. He came to the United States and was studying. And then while he was here, he figured out how to solve the Poincaré conjecture, which was one of the older, more difficult problem, open problems in mathematics. Um, he figured that out. He wrote it up in a very sloppy way. He just like enjoyed it. He wrote it up in a sloppy way and, you know, just posted it on the archive. Um, and then he just posted this preprint. And then people were like, oh, hey, this guy solved the Poincaré conjecture. And then, you know, some other mathematicians from Princeton went through it. And they're like, OK, yes, this works. Um, and so then but then they were like, OK, publish this paper. And he was like, no, I don't want to publish the paper. And they're like, come on, you're going to be famous. You're going to be so important and famous of a mathematician, blah, blah, blah. And he just he he disliked it so much that he moved away moved to St. Petersburg, moved back to Russia to live with his mom on his mom's pension instead of having a job. He could have gotten a job at any university. And then the Clay Mathematics Institute get, offered him a million-dollar prize for solving this open problem because they, they had a million-dollar prize for this. He turned the million dollars down, didn't take it. He got a Fields Medal. He refused the Fields Medal. Oh, my God. He refused... Look up, look up Grigory Perelman. He refused the Fields Medal. This guy's nuts. He just, like... He has a beard that looks like a 19th century Russian guy beard, really. And he like and his what he likes to do is his his pastimes apparently include like breaking into the uh, the opera to like watch from like the janitor seats or whatever and hopping rooftops in in St. Okay. because he lives on his mother's pension. And so this guy solved one of the most important problems in math, obviously has a lot of talent. What is he doing? <laughs> like he didn't even care. He was like, no, he just I quit. I, Eddie, he's never done any math again because, like this, the, the social, the, the the stress of getting so much attention kind of broke him. And so that's and so the question but is, yeah. would, would the anime guy or or this guy who's like anime guy times twenty, would yeah, they, sure. you know want actually want them? you know like when we look at you know, if you talk to, to VCs a lot, I think they they just generally would tell you that founder is a personality type. And you're not going to change people's personality types by discovering hidden talent. They're going to have the same personality. Um, so you can harvest their ideas, but turning them into a person who wants to be an Elon Musk type, right? you know, or a Jeff Bezos type is just not going to happen. And so I think that we have to understand that there are people whose personality types. So I think that it's more important to discover the people with the right motivations directing it in the wrong directions than it is to discover the people with the hidden talent. Somewhere there is a guy who is extremely good at organizing people and at improving operations and at incorporating new technological ideas, blah, blah, blah who's using that to sell drugs. Um, and who is basically part of a, a mafia, you know, drug cartel kind of thing, mm -hmm. who's a respected gang leader and who is using using his talents to sell drugs and organize a drug gang. Right. And then um, find that guy and tell that guy, why don't you start a tech company instead? It's like a drug gang, but nobody gets shot. <laughs> okay. 
um, <laughs> unless it's, it's unless it's Anderil, in which case somebody gets shot. But then, like, um, yeah. So then, you know, nobody. <laughs> why don't you start a company instead of a drug gang? And so there's people who are just who whose motivations are pointed in the wrong direction. You know, there's there's if, if you want people to apply their motivation to creating value in the corporate world, you should find people who have the motivation to build organizations to implement new technologies to solve problems you know to to get money etc find those people those are the entrepreneur those are the missing entrepreneurs it's the people who are, are leading drug gangs instead of of being entrepreneurs how can we change someone's motivation that seems like a that's that seems like the most difficult thing different friends different romantic partner that's how right, you change but, someone's motivation. But anyone who's got like a friend who's in a bad friendship group or who knows someone who's like made a bad choice of romantic partner or like this is a this is a cliche thing, right? You can't like there's nothing you can do once someone gets into that. Like different. Yes, you can. You can different do. friends. Go find them. Invite them to some hangouts. You don't tell them to stop hanging out with your your hoodlum friends or whatever. You don't do that. You don't police who they they currently hang out with. You just give them an alternative. You introduce them to some new people and then they can get approval from the new people. And so um, I will give you an example. Okay. Uh, my, the example is my brother-in-law who gave me permission to use this example. Okay. Um, my brother-in-law has never met his father. His mother had him when she was 16. He grew up in a trailer park. Uh, you know, very classic. No one in his family had ever been to college. His sister was pregnant at 15, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. Zero people in his family had ever been to college, but he liked Japanese cartoons. He liked anime. And so he went in the high school anime club where he met my sister. They ended up getting married. Uh, she convinced him to go to college. He went to a mediocre college. He's like, okay, fine. I'll try. My family aren't the college type. But she convinced <laughs> him to do that. And he was like, oh, you know, it was okay. I met some nice people. That was kind of fun. And then they, you know, they, they moved to DC where she's a lawyer. And, mm -hmm. um, and then she just kept telling about the work that she did and introducing him to her lawyer friends, you know, and then he met, he started hanging out with all the lawyer friends because, you know, his, his own motivation, like his own impulse would just be to like make friends with a bunch of like bums he knew from high school who like to play tabletop role-playing games and watch anime. And yet she's here introducing him to all these lawyers. And he's like, well, you know, there's all this cool stuff, you know? And so he, um, so he decided to go get a law degree and he got into a top law school. And then wow. he, yeah. And so then now he just graduated from the top law school and now he's like, he's not a, a, a practicing lawyer. He does like, um, you know, legal consulting work or whatever. But mm -hmm. then, um, but yeah, he graduated from a top law school and then no one in his family had ever been to college. They were just, you know, hanging out in a trailer park, getting pregnant too early. And like, what happened? You know, no one, no one harshly said, don't hang out with the trailer park people. No more of that. Cut off those people. No one did that. He just met, he just met a group of people who inculcated him with this, with this different perspective. You know, he, he realized he could do different things. He got interested in law, but it wasn't just that, I mean, yes, he got intrinsically motivated. He thought law is cool. Right. But also the people around him is his, his friends who were my sister's friends um, mm -hmm. were people who did law and he could get engaged in interesting discussions by talking about legal stuff with them and turned out to be just as naturally smart as any of they were, as any of them were. Um, but but they, he never would have been uh, discovered by the system had he not met my sister in the uh, in the anime club. So I guess my real answer to this question of how do we discover the hidden gems of talent is anime. <laughs> there's a there's a report today in the New York Times of a Raj Chetty study, I think, showing that uh, people of lower socioeconomic status families, the people who move into a higher income bracket. I think tend to have made friends across class divides. So the areas of the country where there are more people making friends across class divides tend to have this. High, this is exactly what you're describing. Oh right? wow! So so well, I was well, I was bullshitting based on anecdote. Raj Chetty was doing the systematic study, so that's why he's, that's he's why got Raj a big. Chetty is the greatest. Yeah, he's got a big scatter plot that I think suggests what you're saying. Oh, hold on. So actually, uh, yeah, send me send me that. I know he's done work on like lost Einstein's modeling effects, neighborhood effects, things like that. This is, this is a follow-up to that. This is great. I believe so. I love that. Rush Chetty is so good. And um, okay. anyway, 
Yeah, uh, no, it's very interesting. It's very yeah. interesting. So, so, but so you're saying we need to leverage that a lot more. That's the way we dis like we match smart people with better motivations, better better right. incentives. Right. Find the people and find something that doesn't require them to like immediately jump into like math competition or do a bunch of hard work in the right. service of something that they've never been interested in. So so that's you know what I'm I just invented anime theory of motivation. Anime theory of talent <laughs> discovery. How about that? Um, so here's my follow up. Why, right? why why anime? Because it is something that engages your mind a little bit. But in but it's it's 99 parts fun, one part thinking about stuff. So low barriers to entry. It's low barrier to entry. Mm -hmm. That's why an a person who is, you know, a bum, which is I, I use the word bum and it's pejorative, but I think it's absolutely fine to be a bum if you want to just sit around and play Dungeons and Dragons and like work at McDonald's your whole life. Do that, you know, fine. I don't need you to like work hard for the nation, like be a McDonald's Dungeons and Dragons bum. But if you'd also like some, you know, if you'd also like to like graduate from a top law school, cool. Like, so, okay. So um, really, so anime and Dungeons and Dragons, those, those things are things that Dungeons and Dragons engages your mind a little more than anime because you have to like calculate pro a few probabilities and you don't know that's what you're doing. You're like, how likely it is that I'm going to be able to, to make this role in Dungeons and Dragons. You're calculating a probability from a uniform distribution, but you don't know that. Also, um, you, you learn a little, you know, you just learn a little baby statistics just playing D&D by accident. Um, you learn about fat tailed versus thin tailed distributions too, because fat tailed distributions are the mm. ones that make you die a lot. Um, and so, <laughs> anyway, um, so we should have Dungeons and Dragons in every school. We should have Dungeons and Dragons in every school. We should have okay. anime in every school. And so, or, or, you know, the option to like do this and we should have a club where people like watch anime and then like write essays about it or something. I don't know. I just made that up. But Dungeons and Dragons should be an extracurricular activity because it teaches creativity better than anything else. All the like Asian countries that are like trying to like revamp their educational systems to teach creativity should have Dungeons yeah. and Dragons classes and then they're then they're there. That's it. That's all you do. Okay. I want anyway. to follow up on the thing about your brother in law. Yeah. Um very cool dude. He is a very cool dude, and that's a great story and it's a great outcome. But it, it's very contingent because he met your sister. He ended up being a lawyer. If yes. he'd met someone else's sister, he might have done something else. Correct. Could be an engineer, entrepreneur. Who knows? Who knows, right? Who because knows? because smart people can do this whole range of stuff. Right. Is there a problem of like a lot of people who are smart and who who come from a like a middle class family and they go they go to university and then they do all become lawyers and consultants and and whatevers and actually if we're going to start pulling other people in and and remotivating them we don't need more lawyers like we're fine for we're fine for consultants we would prefer you to be engineers and right. computer scientists yeah. and poets and whatever like how do how does that work that's at the policy level so that's the government is what does that and uh, you just you change the incentives. Um, you can do it in a stupid way like Xi Jinping, where you just basically take people who are doing all the stuff you don't want to do and then just like find them and arrest them. Um, <laughs> that is stupid and that will fail because but but you know, instead we use positive <laughs> positive promotion. So right now we're finding a need to do this with uh, semiconductor engineers, which right. China also does because we're in this race of semiconductors. Right. And so China is doing it by by basically kicking your ass if you do anything but semiconductors and that's not going to work uh it's going to work but not well but then what we can do is we can you know promote we can of course subsidize money because people do care about money money mm -hmm. matters especially if you have mm -hmm. kids uh kids are very expensive kids are a huge source of motivation oh for people you to don't need money. to tell me yes, yes oh you have kids yeah nice and so th there's pressure on you to always get some money yeah <laughs> like, <laughs> Whereas me, like, there's no pressure on me to get money except to just like buy my, I, like, I've bought my rabbits like all the treats that money can buy, and now it's just like more money just means like line go up for me, right? Yeah, yeah. But then yeah, for, yeah. if you have kids, yeah. then you need the money. Um, and so, of course, if you're like super rich, if you're like Elon Musk, then you're back to line go up because you don't need that money for anything. <laughs> um, you know, you just want to want to make line go up. But then so, um. That's government policy. We, you know, we can we can promote STEM through 
through like stuff in school where we like, you know, do, I don't know, MacArthur genius, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know yeah, what that yeah. is. And then we can, um, we can pay money so that, you know, Intel will go out and hire a million people and like, they'll do a job fair and they'll do like summer internships and they'll be like, Hey, college kid, how would you like to come to an internship at Intel? And, like, and then like, then the, you know, nerd goes and does an internship at Intel. They're like, wow, that's cool. I'd like to do that after I graduate or whatever. Um, although I guess they mostly hire PhDs, but anyway, um, you can do that. And so policy can put their thumb on the scale for whether people become lawyers. In fact, there's been a big sort of, um, crash in the legal field my my brother-in-law went into it but in fact the number of people going to law school is like way down oh really oh yeah 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 and and the sort of billable hour model collapsed so so basically like lawyer ran to the end of its the the lawyer boom ran to the end of its life okay uh, th there was like a big lawyer boom for various reasons uh you know their underlying drivers were things like changes in patent law that allow you to patent business processes and software drove a need for ip lawyers which drove up the wages for other lawyers there was like expanding federal regulation in a number of areas blah 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 blah. my sister's a human rights lawyer she works for the equal opportunity employee commission so like she's not in that world but but there was just a general expansion kind of like business school expansion drove the demand for economics profs and raised salaries even right. in traditional econ departments you get the supply you know or i'm sorry demand effect bleeds through the whole the whole industry and you had that in, le in law for about i don't know like half a century and then it just <laughs> ended one day in the 2010s it ended and then like and and to be perfectly honest i think this is a one of one of many causes of increased unrest in the 2010s was the fact that the legal profession became much more closed off as a you know as a sort of like a a, a high earning kind of out yeah. for people who study the humanities I'm going to write about that soon. How the the drying up of opportunities for humanities majors led to a bunch of pissed off humanities majors who instead were like, they're like, oh, now I'm a socialist. I'm going to rebel. You know, Marxism. And like, really, it's just because no one would no one would let you be like a fancy lawyer that you expect to be because we need fewer fancy lawyers. So like, um, demand plays a huge role here, and the government can put its thumb on the scale for demand. And, and In, finance can too, you know, like VC, when the, when the, the second tech boom uh, drew, you know, when finance crashed on the East Coast, the second tech boom, like suddenly everybody was giving their money to like Andreessen Horowitz and whoever, or I don't know, SoftBank, um, Tiger Global. Uh, these people were just showering money on entrepreneurs. And so all these smart people who used to go into investment banking, trading, hedge funds, whatever, yeah flowed to the West and they all started starting companies, tech companies. And so, you know, for a few years in the 2010s, the, the VCs really had their pick of all this talent um, because of this, this massive amount of money they were throwing at it. And I think the recent crash is kind of the end of that rainbow. There's still going to be some of that going on, but I think that mm -hmm. the, the days of easy money are, are temporarily over. It, one of the questions on policy that I think is relevant here is like, it's it's kind of about policy, but it starts with like, what is the status of stuff like STEM generally in the culture, right? right. And one of the problems I think we have, we certainly have this problem in Britain, I, I, I think you have it in America, is that to be a scientist is just not cool enough uh, relative to like the, the number of people we need to study like physics or maths at A-level. But um, if you look at Eastern Europe, so this is one reason given why like fewer women uh, study STEM subjects, right? Right. And if you look at Eastern Europe, there's a much higher um, a percentage enrollment of women in STEM subjects. And uh, like one of the main explanations for this is that under communism, like you had to be a scientist to help the country. And this, well, why would you want to do something else? We need these scientists to get on with it. And right. so this has left them with a culture that says, well, of course, it's good to be a scientist. Why shouldn't you be a scientist? Whereas in the West, it's more like, oh, science, that's hard. Like you're a nerd. It's boring. So policy, like policy that's Maybe not so. as far as China's gone, but like that worked better than our thing worked. Right. So how how can we split the difference on this? Well, I mean, you know, <clears throat> I think that it's just, you know, role modeling effects are important here. Um, with women in science, I think what you're interestingly seeing is that um, in the in bioscience fields, women are kind of taking over. And that's really interesting. So if you look at and and 
you know, I don't want to attribute it to modeling effects, but you can note that the who are the most popular biologists, the most famous popular biologists of the last like decade, that would be Catalan Carco, who invented um, right. mRNA exactly. vaccines, and Jennifer Doudna and Emmanuel Charpentier, who were the, uh, you know, discoverers of CRISPR. Right. And so those people have really gotten and 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 you've got a lot of uh, and there's a lot of other, you know, very prestigious like role models uh, for women in in bioscience right here. And it was just I don't know if there's a any deep reason. I, people are going to look for deep reasons why electrical engineering is still like the most male dominated thing in bioscience is like getting increasingly, uh, you know, not not female dominated at the top tenured professors, because that takes many decades to filter yeah, through sure. But in terms of who's going to grad school and who's getting, you know, Etc. That you know, women are just surging, um, and I, I predict will will eventually take over like they did in psychology. Um, and so, when you look at these fields, you ask why in this women in this one field, people come up with all these like ridiculous like ev psych explanations, like women like things that are alive. I'm like, come on, <laughs> like <laughs> like a fucking like like bacterium or like piece of rna versus like like flow of electrons in a device that's one's not more alive you can't pet it. it's not a cute little bunny that's bullshit <laughs> it's like and i know because i spend most of my day petting cute little bunny but um <laughs> so no the the what's what's really happening is that you happen to get some women in the bioscience field first and they provided the the um the modeling you know the modeling effects for other yeah. women to look at them and be like oh well that famous scientist is a woman i could be a woman too and uh you know uh, i could be, i could be a woman too i could be a woman uh, i could be a scientist too um, <laughs> that's something else um so then then i could uh, i could be a scientist too and you know put on a lab coat and be just like this person and i think that you see another mm. thing in the in the theoretical fields you see that theoretical physics is still extremely male dominated right but you see that um, math, a, a lot more women are going to math. And certain segments of math are getting a whole lot of women, uh, like certain subfields of math are getting a whole lot of women. And math majors are now about half women. Yeah. Um, and so math, I would argue that the skill set required to do math versus theoretical physics is not so incredibly different. Hmm. Um, it's a little different, um, you know, physics has a little more intuition in some areas and math a lot, a little more, um, you know, sort of rigor, but, uh, but it's not so different. And like the fact that women are going a lot into one field and not into the other field, don't, don't bullshit me with some ev psych explanation of why women like math instead of theoretical physics. Shut up. Like it's not, yeah, to the imaginary ev psych person who's going to yeah, yell at yeah, me on yeah, Twitter. Sure, sure. Like, yeah. Um, no, no, it's not. It's modeling effects. It's, it's. It's founder effects and modeling effects. It's like, you know, uh, you get some, some, and, and like TV, I'm sure has to do with this. Like there's probably some effects of media, like media shows women, some, some famous like woman doing bioscience stuff, but not electrical engineering stuff. I don't know. And like, there's probably that. I don't know. I can't prove that. I, I don't have any of it. So. Do we uh, prioritize um, too young getting people to sort themselves and decide what they're going to do and therefore, you know, cut off like range and sampling. And one of the reasons why being a late bloomer is kind of like a slightly weird thing is because we say to people, well, you've got to pick something and you've got to go and do it. And we don't let them just, we don't encourage this thing where actually you might just bum around for a bit and try different stuff. And honestly, you know, no, America's really good about that. Uh, other countries do that. Um, like, uh, and, and, and they're trying to do it less. So for example, um, the most famous example I know of this is a guy named Kim Eun-yong in South Korea, who was, you know, he had like the highest IQ ever measured, blah, blah, blah. And, uh, they were like, well, you've got to, I don't know. They, they, like, there was this whole like national thing where he's this great genius. We've got to make him. And then the, and the most geniusy thing they thought they could make him do was go work for like NASA. Work <laughs> <laughs> for like NASA. Um, and then, um, now, then he was just like, you know what? I don't want to do this. I just want to be a middle manager at like some company and just like have a job and have a life. I don't really want to do hard intellectual stuff. I have all this, you know, I have like a 210 IQ or whatever. 
like off the charts. That's 210 means nothing. It means it means our test isn't good enough to measure how well you yeah, can do yeah, these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so then he's just like, you know, I I you know, I'm just going to go do my thing. And so he, now he's just like some middle manager somewhere and everyone was got like real upset at him. They're like, you were like supposed to be this ass kicker. He's, you know, a baby boomer, I think. And, um, and he's just mm -hmm. like, yeah, no, I want to have a life. I just want to have some kids, you know? And, uh, and the other famous example, of this is a guy named William Sidus, uh, who was an American guy who had the other, like, you know, highest IQ ever measured similar kind of situation um, who, you know, like everyone in the early 20th century just went crazy over this kid. They're like, oh, smartest kid ever, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, no, what I want to be is a communist. And so he became like a revolution. <laughs> you know, he just went to protests and stuff like that. And I think ended up getting killed or something. But well, I don't actually remember what happened to that guy. So don't quote me on that. But William Sidus was this guy's name. He was just the, the earlier version of, of Kim Jong-un. And so now... Uh, I think if you look at how society treated Kim Jong, like pushing him into this thing, you know, versus how it treated uh, Jun Hu, the poet guy, just letting him do his own thing. You know, he first in Korea, then in America. You see a big evolution. You see this evolution toward letting people discover what they're going to do. And I think we do let mm -hmm. people have time to play around and discover what they want to do. We should, you know, I, I think there's more we could do on this front. And I think that I don't want to go on a tangent, but I think that the most important thing we could do to provide people with perspective that we don't currently do is uh, pay Americans, especially to go on overseas trips uh, when they're young, um, to get some perspective by actually seeing another country because Americans rarely get out of their country, um, especially disadvantaged kids. You know, um, imagine you take some disadvantaged kid who's like never been more than like 20 miles from where he grew up and just and like suddenly he's doing like three months in like Vietnam. That'd be pretty cool. Right. Right. Like, um, that'd be a big perspective expander. But so anyway, I think that would be a big one. But, um, okay. You know, the, the, in the old days, how would you, if you just grew up on the farm and, and never left your hometown, how would you get out, see the world and like meet new kinds of people? Well, the army, that's what it would be the army. Um, you know what they say, like meet fascinating new people from like foreign cultures and, and shoot them. <laughs> <laughs> join the army <laughs> but um no that's I mean, kind like... of what happened to um chris gardner do you know him the guy no, no, he, no. he's a stockbroker he wrote a really good book called the pursuit of happiness that will smith turned into a movie oh um i didn't know that he basically had a really bad childhood lived with a violent stepfather his mother went to jail because of like social services problems oh, and he he got out by joining the navy and the yep. Navy was like the only educational credential he really had. So he's a smart guy, but he didn't have the degree and whatever. And he ended up selling medical equipment um, and working all the time. And he was a single father and it was just not working. And he sees a guy with a Ferrari and he's like, dude, I need to, I need to get me a Ferrari. Like, what do I do? And got, a, got an interview at a stockbroker's firm and just, he's like 27 He's he's African American. He has no degree. Like he's he's none of the things that the 1980s stockbrokers firms are looking <laughs> we're for. looking for, right? Right. And but he's been in the navy, and he's obviously like he's obviously got some smarts and some perspective, and he just he just claws his way up, and now he owns his own firm, and he's a you know he's a multimillionaire, sure. and he's a yeah. you know, big success. Perspective. So so I would say that motivation is really important, and motivation comes from like friends friend groups and then i would say that um and by the way the person to really talk about this is uh but in an insufferably french way is rene gerard he talks sure. about mimet mimetic desire and this is just the approval thing i'm talking about but said in a frenchier way and um <laughs> so then, but it, it's good it's good you should read that um but but yes like a, like venture capitalists and people in the tech world love to talk about gerardian blah 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 yeah uh, yes okay <laughs> um, <so> then, <laughs> um yeah so so motivation is one but perspective is the other perspective is is exposing your mind to things that you had never thought of before because when you when people optimize they optimize within the choice set that they're aware of expand that choice set and they will land on some other optimum they'll find a do we have to send people abroad optimum. though could we not just like give them more anime more novels, more movies, like different, like, cause like Western so here, movies are kind of bad. Right. But if you gave them. It's like, worth trying all these things. I think of, of anime and Dungeons and Dragons, the, the, the fantasy geek <laughs> discovery method. I think of that as more about um, bringing people together 
a social, that's a social thing. So you, the D and D group that you play with will be a bunch of nerds. The anime group that you watch with will be a bunch of nerds and then it'll be nerds reinforcing nerds. So that's more about, you know, like even if at other times you're going out and like, you know, getting into fights and like stealing cars or whatever people do now. Um, I guess you can't steal cars anymore. Um, because of, of, of new technology, but you can do like other, like, I don't know. Um, I don't know how people steal things anymore, but then, <laughs> I don't keep up with these things. I'm old. <laughs> like how do, how do hoodlum kids hoodlum now? But the point is that not that you, you squash that, it's that you give people like this nerd land that they right. can then. And, um, and there's, there's more things than just anime and Dungeons and Dragons. There's like a million things like that, but basically get, you know, nucleuses of, of where, where nerds will pat you on the back for being nerdy. In some you've way. said you've said a couple of times that like you don't you know if you want to work at McDonald's that's fine you don't have to like work hard for the nation sure. and but it, but is that true if someone yeah. is if someone has a talent or or an aptitude or someone is smart is there not some sort of moral obligation to use like like no. people used to say God gave you God gave you your head you should use it it's wrong not to use it is there not something in that otherwise what would happen to us all Look, God also gave us prostates that like enlarge at age like 55. So God can just shut up. I don't know. <laughs> Look, no, but you know what I'm saying? You're, if, no, you're born, no. if you're born lucky enough to be good at something, you're somewhat obliged to practice what you're good at. Not at all. Why? Not at all. Um, because the simplest answer is because if your heart isn't in it, you won't be good at it. That's the, the that's the simple answer. If your heart isn't in it, then then all the talent in the world won't make a damn bit of difference because motivation is the key. So but are you not worried that like the easiness of Netflix and all the other stuff that Netflix is, the whole Netflix culture, mm. means that this has become a very different problem now? Because like it's because it, the, the motivation because is so too e easily leisure leisure is just so fun. It's so easy. No it's more that it's so anymore. easy to turn it on and so easy to then just not turn it off. It used to be if you had to go to the movies, like you had to get up, you had to go there, you had to get yourself home, like whatever. Now you get home, you turn on Netflix, and then the next thing you know, it's bedtime and nothing's happened, right? Oh, like, I don't know. When I was a kid, all I did was pick up a fantasy book, you know, it's like is low tech, but I could just escape all day. But that's and, reading. That's different. I know. Well, is it? I mean, like, my parents were like, they said, don't play video games, don't watch TV. They, you know, they'd only allow me to watch, like, Star Trek. <laughs> and they'd allow me to play video games, like, you know, just, like, um, four hours a week. And this is the same, I think four hours a week is the same amount allowed by Xi Jinping. So you're, basically, right now, you're recapitulating the ideas of Xi Jinping, who has is cracking down, is limiting the amount that kids can play video games by federal government law. Um, he is cracking down on fandoms he's saying like you can't be part of these pop fandoms cracking down on like pop idols cracking down on all these like fun things that kids do so that kids won't have fun things to do so they will use their abilities for the you know national geopolitical martial power of the great chinese nation state like and I the, guess only, I'm, the only I'm... reason for us to do the same thing is if it would somehow help us compete with Xi Jinping because Xi Jinping has a giant army, you know, backed by like massive amounts of industry and whatever. And if we are just sitting around watching Netflix while they take over the world, then we're not going to be able to watch Netflix for long. Right. And I, I'm not saying that so much. I'm asking so like... War is a real motivation. War is a thing. We That's have a lot of people... We have a lot of people who are smart but maybe less aspirational than they should be given how smart they are or how capable they are. Right. It's not just smartness. Um, it, do we have a cultural problem where we're not, we're, in, we're not encouraged to be as aspirational as we could be. And, and we're like, we're too lax with ourselves about, well, you did your seven hours today, you know, don't worry about it. Whereas we should say, look, let's all use the talents we've got because this is, it's immoral to just spend your life. Right. So, <laughs> on the okay. So I, about the moral obligation, blah, 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 blah. I just like, that's a matter of opinion. As David Hume would say, this is like, a, this is just a, this is just a matter of opinion. He'd say it better than that. But then, um, 
Yeah, but he would also him. work quite hard. <laughs> he didn't yeah, waste he his to. talents. No, but he wanted to. But he would also go and hang out with Andrew Lord Kames and get drunk as hell. <laughs> you know, like I'm not. Look, a, no, yeah, I'm not against fun. I'm just I'm asking yeah. if we've reached a cultural point we where have, we have Netflix. They had alcohol. Like the, the you know when you went to to Lord Kames's dinners, you would be called either a one bottle man or a two bottle man, which represented the number of bottles of wine you would consume in one dinner. Sure. <laughs> like that's just nuts in terms of leisure. That's like nuts. That's so much more leisure than we now have. Um, with the time people work hard, the time people really put their nose to the grindstone and work, 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 work is during rapid industrialization. If you look at any rapidly developing country, mm -hmm. rapidly industrializing nation, then you see this extreme, this pattern of extreme work. And there's a very good reason for that because of the opportunities, because instead of living in a shack, your kids could, you know, the, the opportunities are just wide open and every it's a scramble, but scrambles don't last forever. We're not going to be scrambling forever. And if we had only one country in the world, that country would get rich and then we'd watch Netflix and then we'd think, wait, should we be doing something more important? No, because our ancestors scrambled and struggled and starved and blah, 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 so that we could watch Netflix. If we had only one country in the world and it just got rich and then we'd be like, party time. Thanks, Gramps. Thank you for working hard. Now we get to party and, and watch Netflix all the time. And so that that's the one country thing. And so when we talk about economic growth, we're like, well, we're rich and happy. Why did our grandparents work so hard except for us to be rich and happy? They, you know, why did all this stuff? Um, why did my grandfather walk to work with cardboard in the soles of his shoes that he couldn't afford to replace for like, I don't know, cents per hour? a few cents an hour whatever he made in the depression why did he do that why did my grandparents make sure to always turn off the lights whenever they left every room to save on their electricity bill and blah 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 why did my great grandfather beat my grandmother with a belt if she didn't get a's on her test if she didn't perfect her math tests why did he do that why did they do all that horrible stuff except so that i can watch netflix they did that for me. They did that. Well, I mean, they did that for like, you know, my mom, but they, um, but they did that for, but they did this for me. And, and, you know, like, um, you know, my, my parents didn't like, uh, you know, weren't, weren't really poor, but they, but, you know, we grew up in a one bathroom house with no garage and, and, you know, we, we, my parents worked hard and, um, why do they do that? If not for me, why, if we just had one country and we didn't have the possibility of war, then I think that that would be the end of it. It would just be like leisure is the goal. Now, now have fun. You know, um, Dr. Seuss uh, in One Fish, Two Fish, Red Fish, Blue Fish wrote the most profound line, uh, the the fundamental uh, statement of utilitarianism when he said, "If you have not tried these things, you should. These things are fun, and fun is good." But then, so that's just utilitarianism. That's just like kick back and enjoy it, man. Consumption, leisure, complementarities, as we say in economics, but. Um, it's difficult to think of any prominent utilitarians who have just kicked back and enjoyed it, though, isn't it? Well, but, but they they did what they liked. I mean, like Jeremy Bentham or whoever was like he was writing stuff because he liked writing. Like I do my hobby. Actually, I'm I'm a perfect kind of example of this because um, now I'm doing my hobby as a job. Like I wrote, I blogged every day because I liked it before I got paid for it, and then when I needed some extra money, I started you know, charging people for it. And now I can just do that as a job and it works, you know, pretty well as a job. And um, uh, yeah, and so that's great, right? Like, um, but, but Jeremy Bentham could have gone to work at like some industrial corporation. He didn't, he, he did, he, he did what he wanted. Um, it, I mean, obviously in a, in a leisure, in a rich leisure society, you're not going to be able to motivate people to work as hard. And but but I would argue that the only problem with that, that there's no moral problem with that at all, like there's no like increased wealth is, you know, is not its own justification. That's really? just that's just line go up. That's just that's just making a line go up. Like there's no reason to make that line go up. The The reason is the consumption that you get. And this is this is deeply baked into wow. the philosophy of economics. Right. Like, um, you know, working your whole life and like you know, like, like slaving away your whole life and like socking away your pennies and like 
die, like never consuming anything and leaving your kids with, with millions and millions of dollars, uh, you know, as um, I have a, a great uncle who did that. He made a bunch of money, but never spent a dime and died and left it to his kids uh, who then of course wasted it all um, <laughs> being complete bums. Uh, he did this. That's, that's not, that's not morality. That is obsessive compulsive disorder. The only reason you do that is OCD. OCD with anxiety. That is why you save all your money and and make all the money and never spend any of it. You do it because you're you're anxious. You're. Um, but are you saying under under the sort of framework you're lining out that like that those people who spent that inheritance who just like blew through it? You're saying there's nothing wrong with that. That's fine. I mean, I might think those people are losers. As I do, those people are losers. Like they, they could have, they could have done a lot more stuff. You know, they. Um, but that's what I'm saying. I'm saying people shouldn't like. We should be. We should be careful about this culture that says it's okay to kick back because actually people could do more stuff. What's the difference? What's the real difference between blowing through an inheritance and but who am I working at McDonald's? Who am I? I'm just some. <laughs> I'm just some blogger. Like who am I to tell to tell my my loser? Bloggers cousin? are the people who tell other people what to I do. I know, but, <laughs> but I'm saying like like my loser cousins are just like wasting all their inherited money, and I'm just like, okay, you do you, you know? Like I'm not gonna make you stop that. Like, do I want you to build some dynasty, rich dynasty? No, give your money to someone else. Let someone else do something with that money. Okay, if there are, <laughs> yeah, no, it's good. If there are people, like there's some way through their life they're in their 20s their 30s their 40s whatever and they feel like they haven't reached their potential they haven't done what they want to do they took the wrong track like whatever these things happen right they think they could be a late bloomer right yeah. what's what's your best advice for these people meet people it's all about the people that you meet meet people who are the kind of people who do the kind of things you want to do then you will do it too meet and if you don't know what you want to do which is a lot of people meet yeah. interesting people meet people who meet people who do inter kind of neat stuff that you don't know whether you'd want to do meet scientists meet coders meet uh lawyers like my brother-in-law did mm -hmm. meet people who you know like if you if you're thinking you know what i i had fun i partied i did a bunch of drugs i you know rode a motorcycle around um yeah that, that reminds me of my my other friend who uh you know he um he led a dissipate youth rode with motorcycle gangs did a bunch of drugs like i don't know dated european models or something like that and um that was his deal and then uh uh went went to berkeley you know naturally smart guy but then but then um sometime in his 20s he decided you know what enough with that i'm gonna get serious and i'm gonna become a movie director now now he directs documentaries that's his, his thing he's really wow. good at it. Um, yeah, he just sort of, he, he, you know, gave up drugs, gave up a uh, motorcycle, uh, you know, whatever. -ing. And, um, and then, uh, you know, now he's just like super into it. You know, he's a very artistic guy, but, but, um, mm -hmm. anyway, he does some, he does some great movies. Um, uh, he just released a movie about Cuba. That's like a documentary about the opening of Cuba. That's very cool. Okay. Um, which is just called Cuba. You can look it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, so then he's just another example. You know, he's like, he wanted to have fun. He wanted a party. And then he decided he wanted to do something else. Um, but social connections are the thing. He knew people in the movie world who worked on films, right? Social connections are the key. That friendship connections are the, are the magical elixir through which everything else happens. Okay. So people need to sample the world. Sample the world. Get get that perspective. Get those friend groups. Can they get do those... this online, or do they have to go out and actually, actually find these people in real life? That's an incredibly important, good question that I have no idea about the answer to, and that I would like to know the answer to. Because I've Raj known Jenny people know the answer to. Like I knew a woman who was a really, or is a really good, uh, like social media manager. Mm -hmm. And she came to this career in her own words because she she said she had no friends as a as a child, mm. and she made friends on the internet. Mm. And then by doing this, she kind of she kind of spiraled up into being a proficient social media curator and and whatever else. I, I mean, it's not really my thing. 
Um, and this, like, she developed not only like a life and some friends and and a, and whatever, but she developed a career out of this quite, uh, you know, unexpectedly. Um, how, like, how viable do you like? If you want to be a lawyer or a physicist or a poet or a director, is it viable, or do you do you have to be in the room? Do you have to see that person? Not only for you to get inspired, but for them to take you seriously. I don't know. Okay. All right. Yeah, I don't. I honestly don't know the answer to that. And that's an. But that's an important question. the 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 question of how much offline can substitute for online. That's a question for Raj Chetty. Great, Noah Smith. Is there anything I should have asked you that I didn't? Uh, what's the best anime on TV right now? <laughs> what is the best anime? Spy X Family. Okay. It's on Netflix. It's it's not on Netflix. You have to look somewhere else to it'll it'll be on Crunchyroll after its run finishes, but it's still airing. Um okay. it is if you if you didn't want to settle down and have a family before you watch this anime, maybe I think now you will. Okay, great. Thank you very much. Absolutely. All right, I've stopped my recording. Oh yeah, let me and Great. let me stop the Zoom recording as well.